smoke, so I've just been listening for the most okay. part. Okay. Father, we thank you. We know that there's so much you want to teach today. We are not teaching. You are. We are not speaking. You are. We yield completely. That is everything that you want to teach, instruct, direct, equip, correct, that we'll receive today. Father, we don't want to leave here the same. There is so much in your heart that you want to pour out to us. There's so much in your spirit that you want to transfer into the spirit of you within us. So, Father, we ask that you wash us with of the word. Transform us in the fullness of your grace. Help us, Father, that we may understand. We may know where this salvation has been given. We may walk in the fullness of the testimony of belief. Help us to be able to testify of our identity. Help us to be able to testify of your authority in us. Help us to be able to testify of the freedom. Father, we don't want to testify with our words. We want to testify with our lives. Help us become the testimony of the fullness of you. Lord, help us understand the freedoms that we have received from the sacrifice of Christ. Father, we cannot keep living as slaves when you have called us sons. We cannot keep looking at ourselves as slaves who happen to be friends of the master rather than sons who are welcomed into the beloved. Father, we have a heritage. We have a right. Help us know it. We are loved by you. Help us understand it. We matter to you. Help us see it. Make this word, translate it into the essay of your heart. Help us see the Bible as your love letter, not as words to run from, as listings of laws, as punishment to believers. Help us see you, Father. Help us see Christ. So, Holy Spirit, we have come to inhale because you said all word, all scripture is God breathed. It's by inspiration of your spirit. So we have come to inhale that we may live. We die daily if we are not fed with the bread of life, drinking from the living water, living the life that is made alive in Christ. Empower these words that we may be free. Our lives are changed. Homes are restored. There's reconciliation in families. There's healing because we don't pray for miracles. We pray for an atmosphere of belief because every sign and wonder follows your belief. So we decree that our households, our hearts, our minds are atmospheres of belief in the name of Jesus. The power that comes with this gospel, the pressing that is the gospel, let the power be tangible to us. Let the revelation be empowering to us. Let us not just hear things and not be able to repeat it. Let us become this message, this gospel, this love that we have received today in Jesus' name. We decree that light be, life be. That everything the sacrifice of Christ has conferred unto us for this time, for this season, we will receive it in Jesus' name. Freedom is ours. Revelation is ours. Grace is ours. Father, in the name of Jesus. Thank you for eloquence. Thank you for utterance. Thank you for concise understanding of this word. Thank you that 
for every grace that makes speaking, preaching, and teaching easy. Thank you for every grace that makes receiving this word even easier in the name of Jesus. We have come to you because unto you shall the gathering of the people be. So we have gathered unto you to behold you, to become you, to receive you, and to reveal you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we have so much that we all have to cover. So, oh, Mima, did you have a question? The answer is. Oh, that a mistake. If you have a question, can I ask you? Okay. So, since we, are, since we have a lot, I'm just going to start with this. This is our third week, as you can see, part three, in this testimony of the believer. We wanted to go deeper, but we realized that we have, we've had, we, um, the last, in a couple of months, we have a lot of people, a lot of newer people. And we do not want to go deeper and lose people because, you know, we are not one of those that uh, mm, he said something, it was deep. Uh -uh. Yeah, that's, that was powerful. We are not one of those. We're not, looking for, we're not looking for you to have information. We're looking for you to receive revelation. It's not about hearing deep things. It's about becoming the, what you have received. Being able to repeat it in your understanding, become it in your seeing, and, and reveal it to others in your living. That is the aim of this gospel. So we started, we started from the beginning so that we could go deeper. If um, for any for anyone who has missed some of the, I mean, you don't have to watch it to understand what is going on here. But if you want to, it, it, would, it will also help with, with foundations and possibly correcting some theologies you've had. So, in the last meeting last week, we talked about we're talking about the wilderness, and we're talking about the experiences that you had in the wilderness on this journey of the testimony of the believer. We are trying the goal of the Holy Spirit on this journey is shaping how you think. What is your testimony? What can you testify as, as a believer? Do you know what you believe? Do you know what it means to believe? If someone asks you what you believe, can you say it? When life asks you what you believe, because it's not just people that ask you, situations ask you. Because the wilderness comes the wilderness is a question of identity before it's a situation of reality. The wilderness is a question of identity before it's a situation in reality. It, it is something you are thinking of before it is something you are going through. We'll get to that in a bit. So, do you know your testimony? It is not when things are easy that you are able to repeat. It's when things are difficult that it become, it, it, you start stuttering, you start questioning yourself, you start not being able to move forward. You life, things start to seem more difficult when life starts asking the hard questions. Can you answer it? What is your testimony? What makes you different as a Christian? What makes you different from other religions? Why is Christianity different? And the most important question, what is my identity? The goal of Christ was not signs and wonders. The goal of Christ was not miracles. 
if the goal of Christ was signs and wonders, then Moses would have been Christ. Come on. If the goal of Christ was signs and wonders, then Moses mm -hmm. would have been Christ. If the goal of Christ was prophetic utterances, words of knowledge, eloquence in exactness of, 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 of what is happening, when it will happen, and how it will happen, Elijah or Elisha would have been Christ. The goal of Christ was fulfilling the Father in man, that sons may be reconciled to the Father and know who they are in the Father. We have misunderstood Sorry. the goal of Christ mm -hmm. was the Father be revealed to the sons. Mm. So that every misconception that we've had of God mm -hmm. be corrected in Christ. And he may live a life showing us how to live the life. My God. So that we may look like the Father on earth. Right. Christ's goal was to restore us back to the beginning. It was not about miracles. Because how many of how many people, how many people, even let's not forget, let's not even look for how many people have do we know today that speak in tongues, do sign up signs and wonders, but you don't want to look like the, you don't want to serve the God that they serve because of how they behave. Christ came to show us who the Father looks like and separate him from what people have said about him. He came to eliminate the middleman that all of us can now be intimate with God. You don't need to go on a mountain to see God. He's in you. You don't need to get a pastor to hear from God. He's in you. You don't need to you see everything that could have been a stepping stone of hindrance. He came to show us that we no longer need it. And he came to fulfill, fulfill oneness so that we, can, we could be one in him. He came to democratize the love of God, the presence of God, intimacy with God for man. He came again so that we may know who we are in him. We are not orphans. We are not step downs. We are not afterthoughts. We matter to God. We are loved by him. Christ came to make sure we knew our position, who we are, where we are, and what we are to the Father. Any gospel that teaches us anything outside of who, what, and where in God starts adding, removing, subtracting, and it becomes a plus doctrine outside of Christ. Do that again. Any gospel mm -hmm. that bringing us outside who we are, where we are, and what we are in Christ ends up being a plus gospel outside of Christ. My God. My God. Let me bring mm -hmm. Carefully. If it's not who you are, there is someone else that is a who that needs to bring you to Christ. My God. If it's not about who you are, so that means there will now be 
someone that you have to pay something when Christ has already paid. Mm. You have to now pay the person to pray for you when Christ was Christ paid in his blood. So you now have to pay someone to do something for you. And you now have prayer contractor. When mm. the ultimate contractor was contracted in debt to Come bring this so that's that's a you don't know who you don't know what if you don't know what you know you start looking for elements to find that what the what of god is love mm. love is the what that took christ to the cross come on so john 3 16 for god so loved so the definition of christ's death is love mm. the definition of, of the testimony of a believer is love if a believer does not know love, he cannot give love. And if he hey, cannot give love, he cannot receive love. Please say that again. Take it much more with us, please. If the believer does not know love, he mm -hmm. cannot give love. And if he mm -hmm. cannot give love, he starts looking like the abuse that he came from. That's why you see many believers, they call themselves Christians. Yet, they are the most judgmental, hurtful, and they cannot give grace because they don't understand what grace is. Hey, Jesus! They are the first to judge. They are the mm -hmm. first to insult. They are the first to push away. They are the first to be manipulated. They are the first to be calculated. So the, since they, all they know is the what. Mm. And that what is not love. Mm. Love is the root. Love is the root of God in a believer. Hey, please wait. Let's, let's uh, swallow that. Love is the mm -hmm. root of god in a believer My he could god. have called himself anything any mm -hmm. other he called himself love god is love mm. and that's why it's the love of christ that compels us so the compelling factor of a believer is not law it's love come on because law can only compel you to fear because you mm. are afraid of breaking the law that is why you do what you do but i mm. love my wife so I do all I do from a, from a place of love that she can feel the love that she's that she's that she does not feel like she's left alone. She feels the testimony of God's love through me to her. My God. So I am compelled by love to be everything love, the love of God can be to her. I am not compelled by a law. Because what the law serves to do is mm. remind you of what you cannot do. Hey. So, law is not a compelling force. Hmm. For example, every time we, we are growing up as children, we are told, oh, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. Is the thing that they are, they are saying you cannot do is what you want to do. Because right. law, the law, third of curiosity in what, in, in what you have been, it almost feels like something was taken away from you. Right. And you are curious to understand what that thing is that was taken away and why you cannot enjoy it. So people took on journeys of pain, trying to understand law. Now, Christ said, no, I have come mm -hmm. and you know love. And for the sake of love, you don't need mm -hmm. to find out what law is. Because even what love demands mm -hmm. is better than what law requires. For the sake of love, you don't have to find out what the law is. My God. So, because I love my wife, 
it's not a matter of not going to um, look for another woman. It's a matter of I am, I am content with her. So I don't have to seek contentment in another place. I am committed to her. I don't have to seek commitment elsewhere. So when we do not know love, we seek contentment in other things and commitment to other things. And then we add plus, we add amen to it. And then we then say we're talking about God. There are too many nonsense done in the name of Christ, calling it love and abusing the church. The church has to know her identity as bride. But it is, but before, it's good to know your identity as bride, but come and know your identity as son. Because whether you are son or bride, the defining factor of the seed and the, and the, and the spouse is love. Mm. My God. Love united the spouse. Love mm. cost the seed. Our identity in love is the, is the journey we have to go through. Because when situation, the wilderness is first a mindset before it's an, before it's an existing reality. They had a mindset of being slaves. Mm. They had a mindset of suffering. You mean the Israelites? Yes, the Israelites. They had a mindset mm. of suffering. They had a mindset of slavery. So when they came into a situation, because the mindset had not been transformed to freedom, that there is a God that has set us free. We are right. loved by him. We are backed by him. We matter to him. So, yes, they knew all these things. But now that you know this, who are you to him? Mm. We know a lot of things about what God has done for us. Right. And we don't know who we are to him. Mm. So the question is, will you do it again? So when we come to situations, we are scared if he will do it again because we don't know. We, we think he did it because he wants to do it. Mm. Not he did it because of who we are to him. Right. So it's like, ah, that uncle gave me money. That uncle gave me money again. But you, 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 did you realize that you called him your uncle or you called him that my dad gave me money? My, there is a relationship that is making that person give you something. Mm. Who are you to that person? The wilderness is supposed to remind you of your identity. My God. I'm, re it's kind of, I'm doing a recap of where we came from because I know there are a lot of people here that were not on the last call. So that's why when Christ compared Christ and the Israelites in the wilderness, the question that was that kept being asked was, "If you are the Son of God, mm -hmm. remember that before the wilderness, Christ just did baptism. The Father right. said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him.' Right. Let's also for, not forget that um, for the Israelites, He said, "These are my people. Let them worship." So both people, one had been defined as His people; the other one has been defined as Son. So they mm -hmm. have been defined before they sent, sent they were sent into the wilderness. Hey, well, please pause, 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 pause. They had been defined before they were sent into the wilderness. So essentially, mm -hmm. if you are certain in what God says about you, mm. so, wow, if you are certain or in what God says about you, which then goes back into is, are you confident in God's posture or God's relationship towards you, because that's what the wilderness comes to examine. Mm. So, if I had money, I'll give you. Because yeah, we are preaching good. Mm. The wilderness is the definition 
of identity. Mm-hmm. What is def- is will it, will, we will say the definition or the I think the no, is it examine that word definition. How do uh-huh. you define something? authenticating? I so, think that's the word. It, 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 the wilderness has no power to authenticate what God has pronounced. Right. It defines, right. it gives expression to mm-hmm. what has been authorized. Yes, if I <laughs> thank you, you to do, transfer. do transfer. I take transfers. So, <laughs> so it the, the wilderness, God has said it. Mm-hmm. He, he is authentic, he's the mm-hmm. authority. So he defined the Israelite as his people. He defined Christ as his son. And see, after the baptism, see, for both of them, they went through the water into the wilderness. Mm-hmm. My God. Both went through the waters. This is not even what we are going through. You've taken us completely, but I'm obeying, obeying. I don't know why we went through this part, but they both went through the waters to the wilderness. They both came out of the waters being pronounced. As Christ came out, there was a distinction between this is my son. As they came out, Pharaoh was Pharaoh's and his arm was completely defeated. These are my people. In case you do not know from everything that has happened, there was a separation between the Israelites and so the water separated the identity. And then they were sent into the wilderness. The wilderness was was a sea. So the wilderness was first a mindset. So now that you have been pronounced. Do you believe your identity? So the wilderness is not a punishment of God because even physically, that's now the physical expression of wilderness, is a place unmarked by man. So the wilderness is not always a desert. Mm. It's simply a place that man has no access to or man has not defined the ground. So the aim of God in wilderness is to bring your identity to... See, every, every land you step on shall become yours. So you are coming in his name to take authority in that territory in him. So the wilderness is the spiritual identity becoming physical identity. Wilderness is not God punishing you. Wilderness is a season where his identity is being made manifest through you. God is not a wicked father looking for exam to test you. God is giving you his identity. Please God, say that again. God because a lot a, of people believe that that God is testing them. Mm-mm. He's not a wicked father using using situations to test you. God is giving you his identity. He has labeled you either as, as his people, Israelites, or as his son in Christ, and sending you into places knowing what life has done. Because mm. by Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. The world has become a, a kind of place where there is suffering, a kind of place where there's but he has conquered. So he's giving you his authority so that he can make you more than conquerors. But remember, how are we more than conquerors? By the love of God in Christ. So any identity outside the word of God makes you a victim to reality. My God. The victim mentality of Christians. Is that is as an as a re, as a result of their misunderstanding of the what of God, which is the law, mm. which is their identity. So why me? Who is mm. me? Not mm-mm. all things work together for the good. If I am mm-hmm. doing 
situation or this season. I know who I am and I know whose I am. And I know the word of God for me, which is love. So because of love, he will cause this thing to work together for the good. So I don't care what I am seeing. I am just simply in an uncharted territory. I, I become, by the love of the I am, I will this situation shall be shifted for my good. I don't know how. I don't see it. But I am sure. Right. I can't count how many situations. Uh, I'm seeing this with confidence because Oni and I have suffered. We have gone through tough situations in life. We have gone through <sighs> harsh and hard situations. Or situations that have brought us to tears, situations that have brought us to our knees. And one thing we are assured, always assured of is we may not know the end. All we know is love. And the language of love that God has is always good to us. Please, the language of love that God has towards the believer is it's that it will always be good to us. My God. Grace is the eloquence of God in love. Mm. Grace is the eloquence of God in love. And if you are not eloquent, because when the, when the language is spoken eloquently to you, you also have to appropriately understand what is spoken. God's way to commune to man is how he calls grace. So if you are not able to understand and receive the speakings of his love to you, when you get to your wilderness, you will not remember who you are. The mindset of wilderness must first be conquered before you come into the reality. If not, like Toyosi uh, says, you, you, you will start killing your loved ones and your loved things to placate God who has already killed his beloved one for you. Finally, we talked about the who, the what, and the where. Position. What is your position as one who is loved by God? What is your position? You are seated in Christ in heavenly places. You are seated far above principalities and powers. You are seated in the authority of Christ. So why are you engaging outside of your seat? If you are seated far above, they didn't say you are seated above. They didn't say you are seated far. They said you are seated far above. So why are you engaging principalities and powers like you guys are on the same level? Why are you engaging situations like you have no authority? Why are you engaging life like a bystander? All authority, Jesus said, all authority in the world has been conferred unto me, and I confer it unto you. Bible says he's the head of all, and we are the body. So if he's the head of all, and you are the body, that means all things are under your feet. With this much authority, what are you doing with your seat? With this much identity, why do you question who you are? These are just the things, I mean, we've not even started anything today. But these are just some of the things that we needed to think through as we went through. That's, uh, that's just a rough summary of what we talked about last week, and last meeting, uh, um, the first session. So we're going into today.
I want to talk about, let me see, am I still on this? I want to talk about the testimony of the believer is your love the love of God. You are saved from the slavery of sin. You are justified in the judgment of God. You are reconciled in the righteousness of Christ. You are adopted with the anointing of the Spirit and glorified in the goodness of God. So now, we addressed the first two. Now we are going to the middle two. Justified in the judgment of God and reconciled in the righteousness of Christ. We want to peruse the word. Walk through the eloquence of this gospel to see how we have been justified in the judgment of God and reconciled in the righteousness of Christ. We are going to address the Passover. What does it mean? How does Passover pertain to us? What is so special about the Passover that we are discussing today? Why do we need to know about the Passover? And what, what, what did the Passover bring to us? I'm saying that this are going to be, again, please, we are joining together. Please take time to listen. Some of the things we are going to talk about today and next, next week, we are probably hearing, we are going to, most of us will be hearing, especially next week, I'm sure that 99% of us will be hearing it for the first time. But especially this week, a lot of the things we are going to talk about today, we may be hearing it or seeing it for the first time. So, we are shaking tables, but we are shaking it gradually so that we don't, we give you a, a bit of time to adapt to what we are saying. Oh yes, please look at the screen for the things we are projecting as well. Uh, yes, we're going to be, we are going to be doing some image comparisons. So, as we go into, into this, I want us to understand something about. I'll talk a bit about Passover now. To navigate the wilderness, we need a compass, right? I don't know if some of you heard the recording that we shared on, on, on the shorts. We're talking about to go through the wilderness, you need a compass. And when Joseph and I were talking about the compass, he said, I bid you come, and through me you pass. He is the one that bids us to come. Through him, we pass through the season. So he's our navigator. He's the one that gives us the authority to come. He's the one through which we pass, wherein we are not overwhelmed by everything that we are going through. As we were talking about compass, then we started moving into Passover. The goal of today is understanding that word, Passover. If we play with the word a bit, what pass is over? What passed over us? Why did we need a pass before? And why is that part? Why is the pass that we needed before now over? The journey of today is to take us through to the destination that one Christ fulfilled Passover. In him, the need for lambs for sacrifice 
as a pass for sin is over. Judgment has passed over us because judgment was applied to him who died on Passover. In the day that he died, the day brought us life. We have received the testimony that we are free from every death, every condemnation, every punishment that comes from Passover because the firstborn has died. That we may come into reconciliation as firstborn among many. In the Old Testament, by the blood, many died. Who were outside the blood. In the New Testament, by the blood, many will live. So we are on the journey this Passover. Amen. Are people tracking? Work quiet. The microphone still working. Are people tracking? Yes, emojis. You can respond in the chat to let us know. Okay. So, please, people, as I'm talking, feel free to say, raise up your hand, stop me, ask me questions. Let me know if I'm going too fast, I'm going too slow, if I need to break it down more. Yes, let me know. So, I want us to, I'm going to show us the screen. Okay? The things I want us to be paying attention to as we are going through the Passover, there are six things. The lamb, the blood, the door, the bread, the hyssop, the Passover. Again, as we go through the journey of Passover, we are looking for the lamb, the blood, the door, the bread, the hyssop, and the Passover in the Passover. Theology, which is the study of God, must always bring us to Christology, which is the study or the revelation of Christ. And Christology must always bring us to Soteriology, the revelation of salvation. When we see the God, we must see Christ. When we see Christ, we must see salvation. Because the bend of God, the bias of God, is salvation. And all salvation happens in Christ. And to see Christ is to see the Father. When we engage scripture, we are not looking for prophetic times, judgment day, when is Christ coming back, what um, prime, prime time tones and seasons, um, 10 steps on how to do. We are not looking for that. When you see the scripture, when you engage the scripture, you, to see Christ is to have seen properly. To see Christ is to have seen properly. Because the bias of the Bible is Christ. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible contains the word of God. The Bible is not the word of God. The Bible contains the word of God. So if your Bible falls down, don't say the word of God has fallen. The Bible fell down. The Bible contains a revelation of the word of God. Christ is the word of God. So if you read the Bible and you don't see the word, you have not seen properly. The Old Testament is types and shadows of the word. Because they did not have the Holy Spirit in the dispensation that we do, 
and Christ had not yet come. A lot of things that could not make sense to them. So there was no reference for understanding. It is us who have now beheld Christ and now have received a revelational understanding of everything that he meant. We are able to see because our hindsight. <laughs> yes, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. Your Bible falls down. <laughs> our hindsight is now 2020. Another thing we have to understand is the Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Those cultures are symbolic cultures. So when they write, they write cyclically in cycles and they, and they write, I kind of think of it like the way Nigerians talk. When Nigerians talk, they talk around the story. They're not, they don't talk to the point. The person wants to insult another person. They will describe you. They will not insult you. And it takes wisdom to understand that the description was an insult. Not, they were not praising you. <laughs> so, similarly, the Bible talks in circles. English is not a, English is a literal language. Languages like the language we have in Nigeria and most other languages are often cyclical. Literal languages like, um, like um, English have no frame, even because you, you cannot, even sarcasm in English cannot properly express a lot of the things that are hidden in the pseudonyms in other languages. When you engage the Bible, understand that they are often talking around something and trying to point to someone. Usually, the something is salvation. Typically, the person is Christ. So as we engage the scriptures, I want us to engage it knowing that there's someone we are talking about and there's something we are hinting at. That someone is Christ and that something is salvation. And as we go through, it, you will gradually begin to see that it's easier for you to figure, oh, this is what we're talking about. This is Christ. This, you will start seeing the symbolisms in the Bible. The revelational mindset of the believer makes it easy for him to see Christ because of the Spirit that's always breathing in him. Amen? No, amen. Amen? People here? Amen. Okay, so we're about to go into the scriptures. So we're going to start with Romans 6. We're going to go back. And Romans 6 can be kind of like a definition of slavery. Bring an understanding of slavery. We'll talk about, yeah, let's start with Romans 6. Um, so we're going to do Romans chapter 6. Verse 11 to 23. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 to 23. We're reading Amplified. Romans 6, 11 to 23. If you're there, uh -huh, see, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, this one. Okay. Romans chapter 6, 11 to 23. If you're there, see, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, Amplified.
Don't just run. Okay. Romans 6, 11, 23. So if you are there, amplify it. So if you are there, say, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Thank you very much. It says, shall I welcome you? It says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you do not obey its lust and passions. Do not go offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead. Let me pause there. One of the things we discussed last week is that sin is not just an action. Sin is a nature, a being. That's why I say sin is crouching at your door. It is its desire. Non-living beings cannot have a desire. If we think about it, the devil has come to ask for you. When Jesus was talking to Peter, he said, the devil has come to ask for you. It is his desire to sift you. So if the devil has a desire, and we understand him to be a living being, sin also has a desire. That's why it is a living being. That's why when we want to talk about sin, you commit to. You, you are committing a sin. You have committed to the being called sin. That's why sin has a nature, and his nature is at enmity with the, with the nature of the spirit. So, if the Holy Spirit is a living being, and he has a nature in you, for sin to have a nature, it also has to be a living being. And a non-living being cannot be at, at enmity with a, with a living being. It has to be a living being. So the reason why sin, as a being, can be at enmity with the Holy Spirit, is because it is also another being. The being that takes that his 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 area, his space of operation, is the body. So similarly, by the Holy Spirit, when we receive the Holy Spirit, his goal is to express the fullness of God even in your body. What the whole, what sin wants to do and what the Holy Spirit wants to do are at enmity. They are totally opposite from each other. So you have a choice. Sin crouching at the door of your heart or, the, or Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to submit to to give authority over your body? So Paul is trying to talk about here. Who is your master? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because for someone to be Lord, you are subject to them. Or for sin to be Lord have over you. Who is your Lord? Sin or Christ? But offer yourselves to God because man has to choose who their Lord will be. No one can have dominion over you unless you submit to them. No one can have dominion over you, not even the devil. God, when he created us, separated himself from us, gave us dominion in the space. So no one can have dominion over us unless we choose to offer ourselves. And God, who is an is a serious advocate for free will and who is also a gentleman will not impose himself on you unless you invite him in. Sin will manipulate, finagle, findazo, bend things around to have authority or dominion over you, to, to, to trick you into giving up your authority by the wisdom of the accuser. So it is your choice who you serve, who you commit to their lordship. One of them, there's no person that's vacant. You are either submitted to sin submitted to Christ. 
But offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life. And your members, all of your abilities, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness, yielded to God. For sin will no longer be a master over you, since you are not under law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as a recipient of God's favor and mercy. What then are we to conclude? Shall we sin because we are not under law? but under God's grace? Certainly not, not, you see? What we talked about earlier, the love has to compel because law does not compel. Do, do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? That's why Christ said, if you love me, you will obey. Not your obedience proves that you love me. If you love me, you will obey. Love. I love my wife, and because of my, of my love for her, I do things to please her. So love compels me to obedience. If you love me, you will obey, not obedience. I don't prove. Hey, I don't have like, hey, Let me just go there. If a woman truly loves you, and you have shown her love, she will submit. You don't have to enforce submission, because love the product of love is submission. So if you are in a relationship fighting for submission, maybe, they, maybe you should be teaching love rather than enforcing position. So do you not know that when you, will, when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey, either slaves of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness, right standing with God. But thank God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient with all your heart to the standard of teaching in which you were instructed and in which you were committed. I want us to say, I want to go back to this. I want to repeat this. You are slaves of the one whom you obey. You have a choice. Will you obey Christ or will you obey sin? Who is your master? 18. Having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Of conformity to all to God's will and purpose. I am speaking in familiar human terms because of your natural limitations, your spiritual immaturity. For just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to moral lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, so now offer your members, your abilities, your talents as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification that is being a part for God being set apart for God's purpose. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. You had no desire to conform to God's will. Again, remember, what the spirit of sin wills is a total enmity with what the Holy Spirit is directing you to do. So you have no desire to conform to God's will when you are led by the Lordship of sin. But when you come into the Lordship of the Holy Spirit, that is when you start feeling like, okay, I should be doing this, I should be doing there is now conviction for righteousness. You are convicted into righteousness because you are now conformed into a new nature. So sin and your, the nature of Christ in you, the nature of the Holy Spirit in you, now are loggerheads, now start butting heads. So what is the benefit, what benefit did you get at the, from the, from, sorry, so what benefit did you get at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? None. But the outcome of those things is death. But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become willing slaves to God, 
you have your benefit resulting in sanctification, being made holy and set apart for God's purpose. And the outcome of this is eternal lives. For the wages of sin is death. Let me pause there. The wages of sin is not I'm sorry. So you cannot say, oh, I've said sorry to God, so I'm forgiven. The wages of sin is not I'm sorry. The wages of sin is death. So for the wages of sin to be met, someone has to die. Something has to die. Death has to be paid. The wages of sin is not I'm sorry. The wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God, that is his remarkable, overwhelming grace, of gift of grace to the believers is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the foundational scripture for today. And let's get into some of the nitty-gritty, some of the other things we are talking about. So let's start with, now that we understood slaves and slave master, how we, how we were once slaves to sin. And let us start moving into Exodus. We'll now talk about the taskmaster. We are, we are going through from, I want us to understand the genesis of the wilderness and the genesis of the Passover. Everything that happened, all the plagues, the why. We can see the why. We talked about symbolisms earlier. And I need us to understand that everything that happened with Moses and the and this crew uh, and the plagues and everything in Israel going into the wilderness, going into the promised land, is a foreshadowing of everything that happens with a believer. You are first slaves of sin, like they were slaves to the Egyptians. They were under torment. And sometimes we don't we do not realize the torment we are under, under the taskmaster called sin. Sometimes you are under abuse so much that the life of abuse begins to seem like the right life for you. The absence of love sometimes can make the reality of love seem foolish. Now, when we give our life to Christ, when we cross through the living water, we come into a season where we journey in identity. That is the wilderness. We journey in identity to come to rest. The goal of Christ to us is rest in love. It says, come unto me, all you are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Is light. The only burden he gives us as believers to believe the work of a taskmaster is do the work of christ is be be style of living called believing he calls us to be they ask us to do you will constantly keep doing to pay what sin requires and because there's a God-sized hole in every person, you can never pay enough. You will keep trying to do more to placate the hole, the emptiness that you feel. You will either abuse your money, your body more, abuse substances more. You will keep on doing things to fill that hole, that emptiness, that something is missing that you keep telling yourself. 
So it keeps you as as the as you abuse yourself, your situation, or receive abuse more. Trying to fill up that thing that Christ in love has already fulfilled for you. So that journey was to showcase what it would be like for believers, shifting from the taskmaster, coming to identity in the wilderness, and receiving rest. The journey of the wilderness is dependent on your revelation of identity. The journey ends when identity begins. That wilderness is no longer a position for you. But identity is your reality. That is why Paul could be in a prison, as we discussed last week. And when he prayed, and, uh, and the whole place, all the, prison, all the prison doors were open, the first thing he did not think about was running, because freedom is already his identity. So bars don't define his freedom. God's will is not what he cared about. I am free. I am here, Father. I know your love works for me. How, what do you need me to do here? That is why Peter, when they pronounced that he was going to die the next day, he was sleeping and snoring when the angel came to wake him up. Coming to a place that regardless of what is surrounding you, you are resting in love. So you, will, what man defines as wilderness does not influence you. Your identity in him is your reality. Once we come to that point, we come to rest. So the journey that what what the, what God was trying to show us in that journey, taskmaster, wilderness, rest. The Israelites kept looking at their identity with the taskmaster as a time for testimony, not seeing what how God was trying to transition them and where He was taking them to. They kept talking about how they should go back. The pleasure of who they were, not realizing the amount of abuse where they were beaten, where they were ostracized, where they, they, they barely had roofs over their head, where their food was reduced, where work was increased. So they wanted to go back there, not go to where God was taking them to. So it was a mentality and an identity that was being dealt with on that journey. Are we tracking? I'm taking things very slow because we are going to be at comfort zone versus the unknown. Yes. Your comfort zone cannot become your identity. Who God defines you as is your identity. Your pleasure is not your identity. Who God, because wilderness is not always suffering. Wilderness could also be comfort. That God gives you everything that you want. And now that you have it, you don't need him. Your pleasure or your suffering is not your wilderness. Neither is it your identity. Your identity is who God calls you to be. So, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. Let us go to the Genesis or before the wilderness and the place before we now go into the Passover. Let us understand the why. It's important to know the why before we know how. So I'm going to read Exodus 3, 7 to 14. I'm reading it in CJB. Uh, Complete Jewish Bible. Exodus 3, 7 to 14. I'm reading in CJB. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 to 14. 
people tracking? So, Adonai said, I have seen how my people are being oppressed in Egypt and heard their cry for release from their slave masters. Remember, remember we are talking about everything is symbols. We know Christ, we know salvation. So we now say, where are they going to? As you're reading, look for Christ. Look for the testimony of salvation, even in the Old Testament. See it, see these Old Testament readings from a New Testament perspective and understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to convey in each chapter. It's not just enough for us to excavate and give you to eat. Learn how to read the Bible for yourself as you walk with the Holy Spirit. We're tracking people. Okay. Adonai said, I have seen how my people have been oppressed in Egypt and heard their cry for release from their slave masters because I know their pain. I have come down. Catch that. Slave master. He now said, I have come down. Context. This is Moses listening, the person in the burning bush talking to Moses. So this is the first time Moses is receiving, um, is, is conversing with God. So, I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians. What the symbol of the Egyptian is a symbol of our persecutors, taskmasters, punishers. I have come down from, I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians, to bring them out of that country to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the place of Canaan, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and um, I can't remember what UBC is. Yes, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have seen how terribly the Egyptians oppressed them. Therefore, now, come. I will send you to Pharaoh so that you can lead my people, the descendants of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the people, out of, the people of Israel out of Egypt? He replied, I will surely be with you. Your sign that I have sent you will be that when you have led the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. As we talked about, the wilderness was for worship. To bring them to worship. Christ's aim was not for signs and wonders. If not, Moses would have been Christ. Christ's aim was not for uh, describing the um, sun and the moon and stars and when things will happen. If not, Elijah or Elisha would have been Christ. Christ's aim was re the restoration of man to, the ide to their identity and position in worship. Spirit. Proof. This is why. Okay, I will say this. Even when they were in the wilderness, something that was constant with them rock and water hebrews talks about that they were always followed by the rock is that same rock that moses said i will stand in the cleft of the rock and i will see your glory that rock is christ and out of the rock came the water so the spirit and truth were always with them that they may come into that place of worship similarly for us the, the wilderness is for worship and the greatest form of flattery is imitation he wants us, for him, worship is image 
conformed into the image of the Son, likeness, led by the Holy Spirit. Conformed into the image of the Son, led by the Holy Spirit in the likeness of his nature. That is what God is calls worship. That we are restored back to what he created us to be. That is worship. Spirit in likeness. Son in image. One with him. Are people tracking too fast, too slow, too deep, making sense so far? Moses said to God, Look, when I appear before the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What am I to tell them? God said, Moshe, Moses, Eye Asha Eye, I am and will be what I am and will be. I am. I will be what I am, I will be. And added, here is what to say to the people of Israel. I am or I will be ascended. Every time I hear that name, when the Lord calls himself as I am, I see it as a blank check to the believer. What do you need God to be in the situation that you are in? When you are tired, I am is rest. When you are confused, I am is wisdom. I am is understanding. In his love, I am becomes reverence for you. I am and will be everything to you. That's the blankest, that's the biggest blank check that could be given to a person. Whatever you need him to be in wherever you are, the I am is that to you. He's both a statement and a question. His name is an identity, I am. It's also a question, I am. So what do you need him to be? What do you need the I am? Complete, add whatever you need him to be at the end of it. He is that to you. When they were stuck in front of the water, I am became the way. When they needed um, food, I am became the provider. I am became the one who gave them peace when people tried to attack them. I am became so many things to them. I am would also be for them everything they need. So it's present, continuous to them. God further said, 15, God further says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yudhe, Babhe. Someone we say Yahweh, Yudhe, Babhe. Adonai, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered generation to generation. Go gather the Israel. Mm. Let me see. Okay, let me stop here. Trying to go for the yeah, I'll stop at 14. Yeah, that's enough. So 
Now, that is the, that is the origin. The B, blank check, or the believer. So, I am. Mr. Actually, do you know who the I am is in scripture? I wonder we saw what we saw what we just saw. And because I'm telling we keep talking about symbolisms and things like that. Just for the sake of it, I just want to show us something. I'm gonna show us in um John 8, 58 to 59, just to show you. John chapter 8. Verse 58 to 59. Because we've been talking about symbolism and how everything is still showing us Christ. It says, Jesus replied, I assure you, and Muslim say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Let me do this, CJB. Yeshua said to them, yes, indeed, before Abraham came into being, I am. Even before Moses, even before the existence of the identity, before, before they thought of giving birth to Moses, many generations before him was Abraham. But Christ still called himself the I am. That's why they picked up stones. They who understanding what he meant, because he called himself God, he called himself the one that spoke to Moses. He called himself the one that spoke to Abraham. He saying, is the I am. I only went this far to show us on this journey that, again, we're talking about symbols. I'm just trying to teach us how to read these things. Everything you see in the end is pointing back to Christ. All these symbols are talking about Christ. He, the bias of the scripture, I'm saying this over, I know I'm, hammering this over again so that when we get into a lot of things that we are going to get into today we don't start having questions of where did the bible say it? how is that true how did you see that the bias of the scripture is christ christ is the bias of god his aim is for us to see christ so that in seeing him we can see ourselves so that we can be conformed into the image of him who we can see all right so now let's start on let's start the excavation journey. Exodus 11. We're going to Exodus 11. Um, we'll read this in the amplified, then we'll go to um, Exodus 12, 1 to 23. Then we'll start breaking down a lot of things we have seen. So everybody tracking, is it making sense? We're already in amplified. Everyone tracking? Everyone making sense? Well, quiet. Uh, tracking okay thank you so exodus 11 i'm reading in the amplified they're talking about the last plague and again remember people symbols see the symbols we're going from exodus 11 and to exodus 12 1 to 23 please see the symbols as you hear, as you listen and say, or as you are reading along with us see the symbols See how you see Christ in this story. See how this is foreshadowing what Christ will do. 
at the sake, I mean, you know, some pastors like to oh reserve it for the end. Uh, as much as I would like to do all that a big explosion at the end of the the goal of this at least this week is teaching you how to read the scripture. I'm not interested in the big expose at the end, at least this time. Maybe next week I will be interested in big expose. But this time I want us to see the Christ. So that by the time we get to the end, we are not looking for big explosion. You will see it now. It will not be like breaking news to you. The last plague. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will bring yet one more plague on the Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go. When he lets you go, he will most certainly drive you out of here completely. Speak. Um, let me pause it. If you have, if you need to stop me, if you need to ask any questions, don't hesitate. Stop me. Ask questions. Remember, here we're not interested in you knowing information. We are interested in you becoming the revelation. So ask questions. Okay. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring yet one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go. When he lets you go, he will most certainly drive you out of here completely. Speak. Okay. Thank you, Holy Spirit. The judgments that happened, the plagues, the judgments, everything that was happening, were not punishment to the Israelites. In fact, they were not punishment to the Egyptians first. You will see in this story that this was God dealing with their gods, showing them who was in charge and showing the people that he's more powerful than their gods. So it was between God and their gods, showing the, who has dominion and then distinguishing light from darkness and the people he has called to light or the people who have chosen light from the people who have chosen darkness. This was God showing his power. He was, he was setting free the captives of the mighty. You know, people like to use that, that um, scripture and deliverance. So he was, he was, this was the first example of deliverance. If you have been delivered from something, that means, because salvation means you have been saved from something. So salvation, you have been salvaged from something. You have been saved from something. Which means if you have been saved from something, you have been delivered from that thing. You have been delivered from the effects of that thing. Ah, brother. Okay, at the risk of sounding controversial, this is also why I don't know. I never understand it when people say people who have become believer, uh, believers should also go for deliverance. When, even in scripture, deliverance only happened for them to come into Christ. Christ did not perform deliverance on believers. Why are we performing deliverance? So, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The more you know, the more revelation sets you free. So, because to be saved is to already be delivered from the captives. So, the more you know, the only power of the enemy on a believer is ignorance. So, the more truth you know, the more freedom you walk in. So, don't let anyone tell you that you should go back and be doing deliverance and enjoy join deliverance ministry. The deliverance. Of a believer is in revelation. The power of the enemy is in ignorance. We who know the truth are set free by the truth we know. Speak so that all of the people of Israel may hear and tell every man to ask from his neighbor and every woman to ask from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. So, guys, 
just so you know, when the, when the Israelites left, they plundered the enemy. They plundered the Egyptians. Everything the Egyptians had, they took. In every household that they were slaves of, they collected. They collected from them. For us believers, when we come into God, everything that has been taken is not restoration, it's restitution. Restoration is giving you back, returning you back to where you were. Restitution is returning you back to where you were supposed to be, along with everything that you may have lost. We often, both happen. You are restored and restituted in God. So whatever the taskmaster, whatever the enemy took from you, from the moment you believe, it is given back. And then you are restored back to where God's original intention for your life. For us who believe, we receive everything God has intended. So you are not out of time. You are not out of turn. You are not out of season. God recoups the time. He makes it your turn and brings you into season. That is the benefit of the believer. Are we tracking? Okay. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man, Moses, was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of people. Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, at midnight, I am going out in the midst of Egypt. Let me, let, me, let me repeat the time in case we remember what happened at midnight one day or midday one day. At midnight, I am going out in the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land. At midnight, the sons died. At midday, the sun died. The firstborn in the land, the pride, the hope, the joy of Egypt shall die. The firstborn in the land, the pride, the hope, the joy of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. As well. There shall be a great cry of heartache and sorrow throughout the land of Egypt, such as has never been before or shall never be again. But not even a dog will threaten any of the Israelites, whether man or animal, so that you may know without any doubt. <laughs> so now what we first one yes. So you know without any doubt and acknowledge how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these servants of yours will come down to me and bow down before me, saying, Get out. You and all the people who follow you, after that, I will leave. And he left Pharaoh in the heat of anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders, miracles, may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders, miracles before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's and he did not let the Israelites go out of his land. This phrase is often an issue for most people. I guess it's no one asked. I guess people understand what, what it means for her to be hardened. So let me just keep that. No, I was actually just typing in the chat. Oh, okay. You're about to you ask okay. about that. Yes, I was. Okay. So I think wasn't not King Nebuchadnezzar that also had a similar God had in his heart. So I just 
curious why that happens and how that yeah. happens. Okay. Yeah. So we know that in the beginning, man received breath from God, right? Everybody knows that. That the breath of God in man was not oxygen. The breath of God was the spirit of God. Yes. Okay. For those, uh, okay, let me, let me just do this. Proverbs 2, 6 to 8. Um, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. Says, I'm going to read through. For the Lord gives skillful and godly wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So, the mouth, out of his mouth came something called wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. He stores away sound wisdom for the righteous, those who are in right standing with him for. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, those of honorable character and moral He guards the path to justice and preserves the ways of his saints, the believers. That's Proverbs 2. Then we go to Job um, 32, 8 to 9. Job chapter 32, verse 8 to 9. It said, But there is a vital force, a spirit of intelligence in man. Uh, sorry, AMPC actually. But there is a vital force, a spirit of intelligence in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives men understanding. So, that understanding of wisdom that comes from the mouth of God is the breath of God. And that breath is put into man. The spirit of God is the breath. He's the one that makes us wise and is the one that gives justice to the believer. So, God does not harden your heart. I'm going to, um, we're going to go to one more scripture, but I'm just saying this before we get into that scripture. God does not harden your heart. When the Spirit gives a directive and you choose to disobey, when the Spirit of the Lord gives a directive, when the Spirit of the Lord says something, when His wisdom has gone forth, when His directive has gone forth, when His, when his word has gone out and you choose to ignore it, you have hardened your heart. So, man separate from the Spirit of God has his heart hardened. Man who has the spirit and chooses to not eat, to not obey is hardening his heart. So when God says, I will harden his heart, he has taken away the advice, the directive, the imposing, the conscience, the Holy Spirit advising you, the spirit of God speaking to you, trying to correct you, trying to direct you. So when God says, I will harden his heart, what is basically saying, I will take my spirit far away from him. So you are subject to your human nature totally so there is no conscience there is nothing directing you to do otherwise you are totally subject to your flood flood states curious did did was he aware that god had hardened his heart that i actually don't know that i that that i have no answer for because If you are lord or by yourself, you will not know when your governance has waned because you still think you are still lord or by yourself. Right. Let me see. Let's Hebrew. If you go to Hebrews 3 7 to 9, I'll start from that and I'll come back to that question. It says Hebrews 3 from verse 7. If you're, if you're all there, say uh huh, uh huh. If you're looking at the screen, say uh huh, uh huh. Uh huh, uh huh. Says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, so 
hearing his voice might be him speaking directly to you, or hearing his voice might be someone him sending someone to speak to you. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as your fathers did in the rebellion. So rebellion, rebellion against God, choosing to ignore God, choosing to not listen to what is trying is the hardening of your heart. So remember, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, so the Holy Spirit talking. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing of my forbearance and tolerance, and saw my works for 40 years, and found I stood their test. So the day of testing was not, uh, they, they were the one testing God. So people, let's not misunderstand the testing here. On the day of testing in wilderness, it was not God testing them, it was them testing God. Therefore, I was angered with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. And they did not know my ways, nor become progressively better and more in, in, intimately acquainted with them. So I swore an oath in my heart, in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, I go, mm, take care, brothers and sisters, that there has not been one, uh, anyone among you wicked, unbelieving heart, which refuses to trust and rely on the, on lo, on the, on the Lord a heart that turns away from the living God. You see how the heart is hiding? A heart that turns away from the living God, but continually encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, and there is an opportunity, so that none of you will be hardened into settled rebellion. So if you are going to rebel, I'm going to pull myself away from you. Go on. So with, with the absence of my spirit directing, correcting, and influencing you, now it is, you are subject to your own behavior. You are subject to your decisions and you pay the cost. So he has separated himself from the situation. So you have settled into rebellion by, his, by, by the deceit. So he's, he removes himself from you so that you are now subject to the deceitfulness of sin. So some people may not know because now they have settled into the deceitfulness of sin. It's cleverness, delusive glamour and sophistication. For we believers have become partakers of Christ, sharing all that the Messiah has for us. If only we hold firm to the newfound confidence, which has originally led us to him until the end, while it is said, today, while there is still an opportunity, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as when they provoked me in the rebellion in the desert at Meribah. For who were they who heard and yet provoked him with rebellious acts? Was it not those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? with whom he was angry for 40 years. Let me just skip. So we see that they were not able to enter into rest because of unbelief and the unwillingness to trust in God. So you harden your heart by a choice or rebellion. And when that happens, the deceitfulness of sin steps in. So when God, when you say, oh, I will let his heart be hardened, which means I'm no longer speaking. Now he's subject to the deceitfulness of sin governing him let me pause there shall i want to say something go ahead shall I? oh are you talking we can't hear you oh can can i can other people hear me because i can't hear no can't hear you may have to log shall i may have to log out and log in that's it um, go some sometimes does that just log out and log in. Well, Simi, is that does that make sense? The hardened heart. 
Yes, yes, it does. I guess my the reason I was asking is like as a believer now, like obviously you you we all hope that we are listening when we hear the voice of God, but you know, that doesn't always happen. So like how do you know when you've gotten to the stage where <laughs> when the hardening process has begun? You it starts getting difficult to hear because you, you hear some people say, Oh, those times I used to when I was when I started, I used to hear God, me and God used to Jesus, me and God used to speak. But now it's getting difficult, getting more and more difficult to hear. What mm. they don't realize that they, is that they became so familiar that they start that they started to con the contempt started to happen, the disrespect started to happen. They stopped listening. They stopped listening. And so it be started becoming gradually harder to hear. Because now their heart is full of so much noise. So the deceitfulness of the other nature has made it difficult to discern who is speaking. Mm. Yeah. So I go ahead though. Yeah, can can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I just, I wanted to add to um to Simi's question on and things you said about hardening the heart. I so what I've seen from scripture mm. as a pattern is that typically when you see when scripture says that you know God hardened um I mean we're talking about Pharaoh but in other instances mm. when you see when it says that God hardened their hearts it's usually when God is bringing that individual or those people into judgment. So they've, like, like O.C. said, they've come into a situation where God, it's like they no longer have the ability to hear God and God further pushes them in that direction to bring them into judgment. So in the case of Pharaoh, the time had come for the Egyptians, or like he said, for the gods of the Egyptians to be brought into judgment. And then Pharaoh is now, is now part of God's purpose, you know, for, his, for the Israelites to be delivered. And he was going to show his power through Pharaoh. I'm also just thinking of, um, I'm also thinking of when God was bringing the Israelites into the promised land. You know, there was a lot of conquering that mm. they had to do to come into, into the promised land. And I'm looking at um, Joshua 11.20. Joshua 11.20. Uh, it says, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts, to meet Israel in battle, in order that he might utterly destroy them, that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So, of course, all those nations that were in the promised land that Israel was coming to, even for a long period of time, you know, God said that their time had not come, like their cup wasn't full yet. Then in the fullness of time, when the children of Israel were supposed to come into the promised land, then these people, their hearts are hardened, and then, rather than making a wise decision to say, ah, these people, oh, God is behind them. They are saying, no, we're going to try and fight them. And all of that is walking into God's 
plan for Israel to actually conquer them and eventually take over the land. So, so like I said, just seeing that as a, a pattern in scripture that typically when people's hearts are hardened, it's like they've gone, it's like they've gone beyond a certain level. There's like a threshold where whereby um you, you are still able to respond to God. But then as when God is hardening their hearts, it's like they've gone beyond that threshold and then they are now coming to judgment and fitting ultimately into God's plan for I mean in this case Israel. Yeah, so I, I just thought to to add that. Thank you. Thank you, Shola. Because even in all these situations, these people, when God is judging their gods, he pulls his spirit. They are now subject to the deceitfulness of sin. And the only thing the devil knows how to do is in his deceitfulness is kill, steal, destroy. They will, he will bring them to their destruction. He will bring them to their end. In, the, in his deceitfulness with them, they are led to rebel against God. They are led to fight the will and purpose of God. And be it his purpose in the Israelites, the purpose in the situation, the purpose in the time, the purpose in the turn, the purpose in the, in the season. They, they, they move as a group, a mass. Because Pharaoh was the embodiment of the will of the gods of the Israelites, of the Egyptians, against God Almighty. He suffered the punishment along with, so he was led in, in, the, in the, the fullness of the deception of sin to go in rebellion against God. So as he settled into his rebellion, it cost him first one. Are we tracking? Let me go ahead. Oh, sorry. That was a mistake. Oh, wait, but while, while oh. I, well, I should say, I'm curious, um, when I think it was Shalada was explaining this whole hardening, mm. I think he used the word like passing judgment. And I feel like we've talked, we sort of talked about that in the past. And mm. if I remember correctly, we said there's no judgment for the believer. So how does that judgment correspond? I'm sorry. So for us, for us, because for us believers, judgment has already happened in Christ. Now, yes, correct. What Allah was talking about was judgment in the Old Testament when the Lord was bringing judgment upon their gods and, their, and the people because all those people, a lot of the, the Amorites, the Jebusites, and those ones, they worship Ashrods, worship all the different gods where they, they murder their firstborn. Uh, so number them and put they they bought their babies on altars to their gods. They did different things. So God was also it was a judgment against their gods, and they chose to be to follow their god in the judgment because judgment happened to them, and we are the ones like the Israelites. We are the ones who are benefiters of the judgment. For we who believe, we come into rest. For they who do not believe, they suffer judgments. The cost 
of the hardened heart is an absence of rest. So we who our hearts are unhardened and led in led in obedience, because led in the love of God, compelled in obedience, enter rest. We are not battle, we are not battling, we are not fighting, we are enjoying rest. Is that does that make sense? Or should I clarify a bit more? It does. Thank you. Okay. So, judgment is for them. Rest is for us. In their hardened hearts, they enjoy judgment. In our rest, we enjoy the benefits of Christ's judgment, because Christ took on our judgment, that we may come into rest. So, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we enjoy the journey of rest. They who choose not to believe are subject to the whims of whatever sin is leading them on today or tomorrow. But whatever, however sin is leading them, the wages of sin is death. It's the eventual destruction of their body and the breaking of their spirit. Um, let's put how we're going to do this today. Okay. Exodus chapter, we're going back to Exodus chapter 11, where we, yes. Exodus 11. Oh, we'll finished 11, so we're going to Exodus 12. We're going to go to Exodus 12. We're doing 1 to 23. And once this is done, it's easy to just point out a lot of things. And we could close. So, the Passover lamb. So, again, remember the things that we said that we, should, we are looking out for on this journey. Is the blood. Sorry, the lamb, the blood, the door, the bread, the hyssop. The Passover. Remember the blood, the lamb, the blood, the door, the bread, the hyssop, the Passover. So the things we are looking for in this session today. Okay. So the Passover lamb. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, "This month shall be the beginning of the month to you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Tell all the congregations of Israel." On the tenth day of this month, they are to take a lamb or a young goat for themselves according to the size of the household of which he is the father. A lamb or a young goat for each house, household. So, a lamb for each household. It's too small. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb to be consumed, let him and his next door neighbor take one according to the number of the people in the household. According to what each man can eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb or goat shall be perfect without blemish or bodily defect. A male, a year old. Lamb for the household. Lamb without defect. A male. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. The lamb must be amongst the sheep. Have a good tracking. The lamb must be amongst the sheep. Oh, Simi, you have a question? Sorry, I keep pressing nonsense. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me see. Okay. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregations of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it, lamb, 
each household, male, from among the sheep, must come from, the, from among the sheep. That lamb must be sacrificed at twilight. You shall take the blood and put it on two lamp posts and on top the lintel above the door of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the meat the same, that same night, roasted in the fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread. Unleavened bread, bread without yeast. Lamb, bread. Lamb from the sheep, blood on, on the two doorposts and on the two doorposts and on the lintel above the door. Unleavened bread, bread without yeast. Do not eat any of it, any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted in fire, both its head and its legs, along with the inner parts. You shall let none of the meat remain until morning and anything that remains left over until morning you shall burn completely in the fire now you are to eat in this manner be, prefer, be prepared for a journey with your loins girded gird your loins that is your the outer garment tucked into the band your sandals on your feet that word is everything and your staff in your hand thy rod and thy staff come you shall eat it quickly this is the passover for I, the Lord, will pass through the land of Egypt on this night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and animal. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, exhibiting their worthlessness. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you. What is the sign that we're looking for? The blood shall be a sign for you. The blood shall be a sign for you. On the doorpost of the houses where you live, the blood of the lamb. So you know the blood came from the lamb. The blood of the lamb shall be a sign for you on the doorpost of the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I shall pass over you. And no affliction. I hope you all are seeing the symbols that we are talking about. And no affliction shall happen to you. And no affliction shall happen to you. To destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day shall be a memorial to you. You shall keep it as a feast. Side, if I should go further because of the time. Okay. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as an ordinance forever. In the celebration of the, you shall you shall celebrate it as an. So the Passover must be celebrated forever. So how? In the celebration of the Passover in future years, sorry, in the celebration of the Passover in the future years, seven days. What happened in seven days? What do we remember happened in seven days at the beginning? You shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove the living from your houses. What did he separate on the first day of this creation? What was separated? Two things were separated. One was light was separated. You shall remove the living from your houses. I'm, I'm trying to teach you all the symbolism. I know at the risk of the big reveal at the end, I don't mind. I want us to understand how to read the Bible, what we are looking for. Living from your houses. Because it represents the spread of sin. For whoever eats living bread on the first day through the seventh day, that person shall be cut off and be excluded from the atonement of Israel. Atonement made for. So the blood from the lamb is the atonement for Israel. 
are we tracking are we seeing the journey are we seeing the types and shadows on the first day of the feast you shall have a solemn a holy and solemn assembly and on the seventh day there shall be another holy and solemn assembly no work of any kind shall be done on those days except the preparation of food which everyone every person must eat only that may be done by you you shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread because on this day i brought your hosts grouped according to tribal armies out of the land of egypt therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an ordinance forever in the first month on the 14th day of the month at the evening you shall eat unleavened bread and continue until the 21st month of the, at the evening seven days no living shall be found in your houses whoever eats what is living shall be cut off and excluded from the atonement made for the congregation of israel whether stranger or native born you shall eat nothing living in all your dwellings you shall eat on unleavened bread then moses called for all the elders of israel and said to them go and take the lamb for yourselves according to the size of your family and slaughter the passover lamb you shall take a bunch of hyssop this is another part hyssop so dip it in the blood which is in the basin and touch some of the blood onto so it is hyssop that was used for the lamb hyssop in blood in the blood of the lamb and was put again when next we see hyssop in the bible being put on the door dip in the blood which is the basin and touch some of the blood onto the lintel above the doorway and to two doorposts and none of you shall go outside of his house till morning this is the last one for the lord will pass through to strike egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel above the entryway and on the two doorposts the lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to slay you by the blood the destroyer is saved from you so we have seen a few things here we have seen the lamb the blood the door the bread the hyssop the passover for the sake of time we're just going to go fast through all, a lot of these things we're going to go to john 1 29 um john 1 29 to 36 or john 1 29 let me share this time instead okay john chapter i'm just going to be going fast john chapter 1 verse 29 because of time john chapter 1 verse 29 says the next day this is john the baptist oh, i'll start with it then these things occurred in bethany across the jordan at the jordan river crossing where john was baptizing the next day he saw jesus coming to him and he said look the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world hold on we talked about lamb so now we have confirmed that the person that is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world is christ if christ is, the, is fulfilling the passover everything that we saw in the passover must be fulfilled and revealed in him you have seen now john 1 to, um, 29 is that lamb let's go to john 10 10. so we we, we now talked about you no know, there was lamb there was a dog that blood was put upon 
John chapter 10, verse 10. Sorry, guys, I'm going kind of going fast. John 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes in only to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. Sorry, John 10, verse 9 says, I am the door. Anyone who enters through me will be saved and will live forever and will go in and out freely and will find pasture, spiritual security. Let me pause there. Actually, the thief comes in only, only in order that he may still kill and destroy. I came that you may have life. Remember? Passover. He came that they may have life and have it in abundance. So, we have established two things. Christ is the lamb that was slain. Christ is also the door. Are we tracking? Is this making sense to people? Yes, no. Okay. Two thumbs up. So Christ is the Lamb. Christ is the door. Now, John 6 3, I'm just going to go through. We're talking about bread. On living bread, right? John six thirty three says, ah, "Look, it's thirty five already." They say, "For the bread of God is He who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world." Remember, the gold there. He says, "I show you." Jesus said to them, "I show you." A Muslim said to you, "It is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven." For the bread of God is he who comes down out of heaven. Remember when he was talking, he said, I have come down to set my people free. For the bread of God is he who comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. And Jesus replied to them, I am the bread of life. The one who comes to me will never be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never thir be thirsty. For that one will be sustained spiritually. So, the bread that we are looking for is him. The lamb that we are looking for is him. The lamb whose blood will be shed. He's the bread. He's the lamb. He's the door. He's the bread. He's the lamb. He's the door. Now let's address Hesop. What is Hesop for? For the sake of time, I'm just going to tell you. In if you check Leviticus 14, 16, Hesop is used for cleansing. That's a means of cleansing or sin. The um, numbers 19, 1 to 10, numbers, I can just show you numbers 19, 6. Um, that's easier to do. Numbers chapter 19, verse 6 is The priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet material and cast them into the midst of horses. The priest shall wash his, wash his clothes. So hyssop is used for a means of purification as a means of purification for ceremonial cleansing. That's what hyssop is used for. So that is why hyssop was put in the blood and put on the door. So if we, if we were to have an image of what that door looked like, we would see something like this. You see? Everyone's, can everyone see the screen? So you will see something like this. The man with hyssop, this is the hyssop in his hands here. Let me see what you all are saying. This is the man with hyssop in his hands, putting it on the door 
putting lintel on um, um, putting blood on the doorposts and a lintel so it will look like this i will track him so now let's go to where we are closing up with today so hyssop blood door doorpost which is left right lintel on the top we have to see this in scripture see how the lamb bread the bread the blood the hyssop all these things how it happened how the passover happened on that day let's go to john 19 and we can close out there is everyone tracking john chapter 19 from verse 13. so are we is everyone there if you're there say uh-huh 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 okay so john 19 i'm going to read 13 to 18 and 28 to 30 and we'll we can close out there mm, 13 to 18 28 to 30. so from 13 when pilate heard this he brought jesus out sat down actually maybe i should read it and i'm going to read an amplified classic instead of amplified john 19 13 i'm reading amplified classic not amplified so hearing this pilate brought jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat so it was a day of judgment for christ christ was before the judgment seat at a place called the pavement the mosaic pavement the stone platform in hebrew so that is the place where they sat down and pronounced judgment about the people now it was the, now it was the day of preparation for passover so that day was passover on the day of passover sorry on the day of because the lamb was sacrificed that night for the next day which we which will be passover so on the day that the lamb was supposed to be slain for passover let's see what happened on that day was the lamb slain or not a person called himself the lamb a person called himself the bread Let's see if it tracks. If what was supposed to happen on the day in history happened on that day in present. Are we all seeing? Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, 12, about 12 o'clock. He said to the Jews, see, here is your king. But they shouted, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then they delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus. They took the lamb. He called the elders to take the lamb. Remember what we just saw? And they took the Jesus, the lamb, and led him away. So he went out, bearing his own cross, to the spot they called the place of skull. In Hebrew, it is called Golgotha. They crucified him. And with two others on his side and jesus between them we're going to keep going but if we could look at what that would look like let me show you a picture it will look something like this if we pictured doorposts lintel it will look something like this. 
Are we tracking? Well, you know, Lord, the Lord will not just stop there. The God of overdue. Moving to the next one. From 28 to 30. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, ended, said in fulfillment of that scripture, I thirst. A vessel, a jar of sour wine, was placed there to so scoot a sponge, soaked in sour wine, on a stalk, a reed of hyssop, and he held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He brought hyssop again for cleansing. So if we look at the picture one more time, what it will look like is this. And people see, he was the lamb. He was the, it was the lamb's blood. It was his blood that was shed upon the door. He is the bread that, that we eat, the, un, the, the unliving bread. He is the lamb without spot or wrinkle, the meal that is the firstborn. He received, the hyssop was stretched up to him for the ceremonial cleansing that the judgment may pass over. He died on the day of Passover. On, on, he died preparing for the Passover. So the Passover was a symbolic preparation for his death that we may be saved from the judgment of God. So he took on the judgment that we may come into life. Are we all tracking? Can people say this? Is this making sense? Questions, comments, is it making sense to everyone? You all are quiet, so I don't even know if this is making sense. Is this making sense? Does this, are you tracking? Are you all tracking? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, if you look at it, the lintel, top two sides. You see the previous picture? Lintel at the top. Door post left and right signified where he bled. Left, right, lintel on the top. He moved to the next with a hyssop being stretched. Once that image was fulfilled, once the, once the ceremonial cleansing was done, once the sour grapes of punishment was received, he bowed and died. So Christ fulfilled every judgment. That we may come into rest. That sin will no longer be a discussion for us. Hebrews 10 says, There is now no need for ceremonial cleansing for us. Because they, we now have a high priest who represents us. He died. That we may come into the freedom of testimony in our belief. So our testimony as believers is that we are forgiven. We have been saved from judgment. We, have, we now enjoy the righteousness of Christ and we come into rest in God. Amen. Questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, sorry, something is just uh, on my mind. Okay. Which is, I'm just thinking, I don't know if scripture told us of how 
Jesus was crucified. I know we've seen in Passion of the Christ, he was crucified. The hands, I don't know if his feet were also nailed. Because I'm trying to play the picture of the doorpost. And I can see, okay, the crown of thorns on his head. And, and the two hands where he was nailed. Yeah, but mm. I was just thinking, the scripture ever tells us that he was nailed on his feet too. Because I remember when he came to Thomas, every time he came to his disciples, he appeared to them, I think, on two occasions. He said, reach and see the hole in my hands. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I don't see it. I've not seen a scripture where maybe he was nailed on his... Because I'm just trying to picture it there. Yeah? Mm. The door post, the side, the door post and the lintel. The lintel, okay, I could say, okay, maybe the crown of thorns on his head. And the door post is two hands. But I don't know, that was just all of my mind. Hmm. Because uh Mark uh, Mark fifteen and they crucified him with uh, crucified him with two numbers. Mm -mm, they don't see doesn't say Mark fifteen, Luke. Only can go ahead. Well, scripture doesn't tell us that he was nailed on his feet. But we can deduce from the way that the Romans did crucifixion. And the way that the Romans crucified people, they did crucify, they put nails through the feet. So while the script Bible, the Bible does not give us that detail. We know from like historical accounts of the way that the Romans crucified people that they did put nails on their feet. So I think I forget um, there was that there was that movie, A Case for Christ, where the mm. skeptic was trying to find medical evidence um, for the things that happened to Christ during um, Jesus Christ during crucifixion. And this was one of the the um, like the painful part of it because then the the way that the leg had to support the rest of the body mm -hmm. and how the lungs ended up collapsing and all of that like yeah there's like a whole medical article about it but while we don't see that um, like telling us in the Bible but um, we can see it from the historical account that this this happened. But I wonder though, um, Shikyoke, why is that important? Oh no, like, it's not. It's not like the, the crucifixion is a, is is important. Not like where he was nailed, but when Jesus appeared to his disciples, he said, "Oh, reach for my hand. See the holes of the nails nailing on my hands." I'm just trying to connect the symbolism of what we're uh, learning, I see. learning and his crucifixion. Yeah. I see. Mm. I, see. Mm. I was trying to find it for a uh, trend check, um, but yeah, in that in that scripture, it does not say see the holes in my feet. I, I see why yeah. that's what Tudok is saying. That he said see the holes in my hands, see the holes in my side, and not say see the holes in my feet. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then again, I mean, okay, I'm not saying, yeah. Hmm, that's that's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. But it's the 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 thing is, you okay? 
if you look at the blood on the lintel, if you if you put blood on it, because um, the hyssop is like a sponge, it's almost like a sponge, or like a, a, a cluster of plants. You put it, blood on it, you put blood on the side, on the doorpost, blood on the, on top of the lintel, and blood on the side. What happens? The blood drips from the top to the floor. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be blood on the floor yeah. in the middle of the door. That's right. That's right. There's, there, there is no, there's going to be blood on the floor in the middle of the door. That's correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. All, all four parts are covered in blood. The blood from the side will drip down. The blood from the top would, would drip, would, would still drip. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I believe that is all I have. Any question? Come. Any other questions? Did okay, that, did that clarify for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yes. Yes. So, he is the lamb whose blood was shed. He is the door that the blood was put on. He is the bread that celebrated the Passover. He is the, he he received the hyssop containing the ceremonial cleansing, although he was without sin. That he may fulfill the Passover. So he came that by his death, judgment has passed over us. Goat and lamb are no longer a pass for sin because the lamb has been shed for us. All judgment is over. We are we now pass into God. We have received a, an eternal pass, an eternal right of entry. The pass is over. Because we now have access. Amen. Question, comments, concerns. All hearts and minds clear? Okay. So let's go into our declarations. You all can come up mute. Let's declare together. One, two, three, go. We can do we can say we run and I. We are sons. So one, two, three, go. We are sons on mission on a mission. Our assignment is to be. We exist by the breath of God. God. Our assignment is to be and breathe. My Our atmosphere is the atmosphere of belief. Our assignment is to eat and live. Our testimony is the story of love. Our assignment is to be and love. We walk in the fullness of the I am. Our assignment and rest. We move as the most Our assignment We execute the issue Our assignment We are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Our assignment Christ is doing all things for us. Conquering the us, we bring, we bring life, we bring breath, we bring life, we bring love. Our assignment. Father, may we rest in the fullness of your grace. May we walk in the testimony of your love. May our eyes be open to the victory that has come in Christ. May we rest in the fullness of the revelation of your love. Father, you receive the judgment of us, and we rest in the freedom of Christ. May we come to know and live out that freedom. May we stop trying to kill 
our firstborn, when your firstborn, the firstborn has died for all of us. We not stop when we stop sacrificing our beloved because the beloved has a sacrifice for us. Thank you for revelation. Thank you for direction. Thank you for rest. In Jesus' name. Love and appreciate you all. Go into the rest of the week in the fullness of Christ. Yeah. All right, guys, we have come to the end. Have a blessed and wonderful Thank you. Thank you.